Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm at Psalms 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. What a great place to start. I hope your weekend was good. It's so nice to be back with you today. Looking forward to the whole week. I'm going to start my show a little different today. I've got uh, Mrs. K. Coles James as my guest to start things off. She's the president of the Heritage Foundation, and I'm awfully excited. We've been trying to get her on the program for a while, and here she is. Mrs. James, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, I'm reading your resume, and it's so impressive. So it's a very cool resume. But one of the first (laughs) questions I want to ask you is you've got five grandkids. Which one is the cutest? You know what? They're each cute in their own way. Okay. How is that for a grandmother answer? <laughs> that says I can trust you. <laughs> I guess that's, that's the perfect grandmother answer. No, your, your, oh your story is so powerful. My, I mean, you started off in the projects, didn't you? I did. I did. Um, a mom who was struggling to raise six children, a father who was uh, an alcoholic, uh, every pathology that you can possibly think of uh, in our early family life. But isn't God good? Who knew? Is he ever? So tell me about what, what it was like you got through high school, went to college, then what? Well, you know, I did. Uh, the only way that my mother could make it was by the family pitching in. And I went to live with an aunt and uncle when I was five years old. And I was the only girl. And I can remember my mom saying, even in those early days, Kay, you're the only girl. I want you to have the opportunity because a little boy can play out here in the gutters, get up the next morning, put on a clean shirt, and nobody thinks anything of it. A little girl can't do that. I Mm. want you out of here. So I went to live with an aunt and uncle. They educated me, sent me to college, and then off to to work. And uh, that's soon after that, I met the most incredible man on the planet. And... uh, got married and started raising a family. And that would be uh, Charles James Sr. Yes, yes. Charles James Sr. What a guy. Yeah. And how many years have you been married? Well, we're coming up in two years on our 50th. Can you believe? I mean, 50, 50 years. What a blessing. It's a blessing indeed. So it sounds uh, that there was tremendous influence with this aunt and uncle and what beautiful um, mentoring and modeling they did uh, to instill... you know, the thoughts in little Kay's mind that you can do what you want to do in life? Well, you know, they had a profound impact, but really the guiding hand throughout all of that, even though I went to live with them, it was really my mother. Okay. It was my mother who was the fighter. It was Mm. my mother who said, we are not victims. We are survivors. It was she who dried my tears when I didn't want to go live with an aunt and uncle and told me to take advantage of every opportunity they gave me. 
and uh, she was quite a woman. She and Harriet Tubman and Margaret Thatcher, they're my heroes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would so love for you to talk more about why that's so important, that we're telling the message we're not, we're not victims, we're survivors. That's such a powerful message. You know, it's so easy with everything that the world can throw at you to see yourself as a victim. And, and I just was never raised that way. I was always taught that there are difficulties out there. And uh, one of my mom's favorite sayings, and I eventually used it in a, uh, a book as a title of a chapter, that the same sun that hardens clay can soften butter. Mm, and it's up to us to determine whether we will become hardened and bitter by the things life throw at us, or whether we will allow the Holy Spirit to sort of soften our hearts and make us uh, more gentle, compassionate, and understanding people. And my mother made it clear, it's a decision. You you decide, do you want to live your life as a bitter person, or do you want to live your life uh, uh, softened by the Spirit of God uh, to be used as, as God intends? So, um, so, yeah, I've always been the... Uh, the glass is half full. I've always seen uh, the opportunity to to uh, to be softened rather than bitter. Yeah, I love your mother. <laughs> she was something else. <laughs> she really was. Oh my! I just love her. I mean, this is something we start off Monday, and here we are. Everyone goes back to work, or hopefully back to something that they're doing that's productive to honor God. But there's this over writing feeling that there's this pessimism in the world so we need really strong messages of optimism too so i love we're starting the week this way oh yes my well she was optimistic even with everything that life threw at her um, and she sort of raised her children to be that way and that's how i've lived my life i probably am one of the most optimistic people you will ever know even with the uh where we are as a nation right now which which can be uh overwhelming when you see sort of the rise of socialism when you see the racial tensions that exist uh were i not an optimistic person this could be a devastating time but as we christians like to often say we've read the back of the book we know how this mm -hmm. all ends god has not left the universe he is in control and then um, life is so much easier when you trust him. Oh, isn't it ever? So as president of the Heritage Foundation, and of course, for listeners, that's, uh, you know, America's premier conservative think tank. Um, what What is keeping you up at night, if anything? Not much. Yeah, I didn't think so. I thought that was going to be my answer. <laughs> Not much. But I so, you know, I so appreciate what you said about, you know, the, the world is troubled, but we have an answer, which is Jesus. Oh, absolutely, which is why I think this is a tremendous opportunity as God's people to shine. We should lean into this moment because everything that the world is looking for, um, you know, we we know we, we've got answers, and so we can't retreat. We need to advance. When people want to know how to uh, rid the world of poverty, when they want to know how do you heal a broken heart, when they want to know how you come up with uh, racial reconciliation. Uh, these are all things that, that God's people and people of faith have struggled with for decades and have resolved in many cases and can answer and can speak into that moment. 
So we have a lot to offer our country and our world right now, so we should be engaged. Mm -hmm. So, Kate, when I just sort of casually drop that you're the president of the Heritage Foundation, which is a really big deal, I'm curious, and if you tell our listeners uh, more about your road to getting there. Yeah, you know, I have long admired and respected the Heritage Foundation because for many years, I didn't even know I was a conservative. I knew that I had a certain set of beliefs, and it wasn't until uh, I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s when a reporter said, you know, you're a conservative. And I said, I don't think so. I had a vision in my head of what a conservative looked like, and it wasn't a young black woman, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so when I learned that because I believed in the value and the dignity and the sanctity of human life, because I believed in liberty, because I believed in personal responsibility, because I believe in not spending more than you earn, and I believed in limited government, those things made me a conservative. And I said, well, yeah, I'm all of that, for sure. And uh, so I began to learn more, read more, associate more uh, with conservative friends, and um, I eventually became involved in the Heritage Foundation as a speaker and then uh, as a, a board member. And right now, um, I believe that uh, it is one of the most important organizations in our country that can can provide the answer to sort of the mob rule that's in our streets, that can push back on the rise of socialism in our country, that can provide real data and research and analysis and help people figure out how to respond incredible ways to uh, many of the issues that are being raised at a national level. And I happen to believe that we as Christians have a responsibility to do just that. Yeah, when there's such a, a wave of negativity, I think we all ask ourselves, well, what can we do as one person? We can do a lot uh, as individuals in this country. First of all, you know, since I know your audience is largely Christian, I would say we have a responsibility to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And what is Caesar's in the form of government that we have? And our founders told us that if we're going to live in this country, we have a responsibility to be informed and engaged. So sitting it out and sitting on the sidelines is uh, not something that we as people of God should be doing. We should be informing ourselves and then becoming engaged in the issues of the day. I couldn't agree any more. Um, I think I'm going to take a a very uh, short break, and I'll be right back, even though I don't want to take a break. I think we have to. Um, Mrs. Kay Coles-James is my guest. We'll be right back. So glad to be back with Mrs. Kay Coles-James, the president of the Heritage Foundation. She was appointed to commission leadership under uh, President Reagan and uh, Bush 41 and Bush 43. What was that like, Kay? Well, you know, I cannot believe that the kid from the public housing projects (laughs) born to a welfare mom and an alcoholic dad and coming out of uh, 
as I said, public housing would have the opportunity to do the things uh, that I've had uh, the opportunity to do, serving uh, people that I admired and respected, serving in government, uh, having the opportunity to serve this country that I love so much. Uh, It has been quite a ride, quite a life. And sometimes I, you know, in talking about it and sharing stories uh, to my grandchildren, I have to sit back and go, wow, (laughs) that really did happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, when when I talk about it in passing, it it sometimes escapes me just how big and and how significant and important uh, the the roles that I've had the opportunity to have. It's been phenomenal. Oh, I bet. And okay, you're big on family issues. How are we doing on the f- family today in America? Oh, not not well, not well at all. When you look at the comparative data in terms of uh, where we are on family formation, it is so discouraging. And when I even talk to young Christian uh, college students, it is amazing to me the number of young women and young men who uh, put off or say they really don't see a need to uh, uh, to form families anymore. Uh, the sexual promiscuity is is as great, according to some studies, among young uh, Christian kids as it is of kids who are not uh, members of of the faith community. And I think we have to do a better job of explaining why, why uh, Scripture says the things that it says about uh, sexual purity and about relationships and the role that marriage and family plays in our country. Okay, when you think over your career, can you think of a... a past failure in your life that you really learned from and really grew from and you could share with listeners? Because I always think those are like the most interesting stories. Well, yeah, and there are many of them. I'm having a hard time Well, but successful people, though, have a lot of failures. But they, uh, you know what? They rise someone above told them. me, you're absolutely right, and, and someone told me very early on, and I actually put it in one of my books, that the only difference between a successful person and a failure is that successful people get up. When you fall down, you get up. Everybody fails. Everybody falls down. But the only difference is get up. So when you're lying there on the ground feeling defeated, feeling deflated, get up. Mm. So, um, (laughs) you know, it sounds simple in the saying, but oh my word, resiliency and the ability to bounce back is one of the best gifts that you have. And I allow myself to, you know, to be real in my failures and and as I experience them and and to be vulnerable and open about my failures. But I don't want to wallow there. I don't want to stay there. That's not the kind of God we serve. Um, you know, sometimes the mistakes are little and have little consequences. Sometimes they're big and they're on display for the whole world to see. You know, it was just recently, uh, to give you a recent example, <laughs> I, wrote a, uh, I wrote a piece about race in America after many of the events that were happening, and I did not realize that when I was speaking into that moment, 
that the the sort of atmosphere was so toxic and people were so emotional that they would read into what I was saying, emotions and thoughts that just weren't there. I talked about race in America and what my own experience was like, and I was devastated when I realized that some people interpreted that to mean that I believe that America is a racist nation, and I just don't. And I sat back on my heels and said, oh, my gosh, how could that have happened? But in recognizing that people bring their own baggage to every you know, discussion or conversation or, or dialogue, um, and if I had it to do over again, I probably would have worded things differently. But, um, you know, it gave me the opportunity to have lots of conversations that I wouldn't have normally had. And so I am grateful for it. And like most things in the Christian life, you know, I'd rather not have to go through it again, but I'm glad it happened so that I could learn what God wanted me to learn in that moment. Yeah, it's so true. And I so appreciate that. Um, also, Kay, I'm um, thinking when it comes to civil discourse, I, I think there's our country's doing so poorly in that department. Can you give us any encouragement or coaching as to how we might do it better. Oh, my word. I am so concerned about that and have been for many, many years. Um, I think that it is so important for us to be able to have conversations without trying to destroy someone who who, who might necessarily disagree with us. Fifteen years ago, you could have a debate, you could have a discussion, you could argue about policy, and never question the other person's character, their integrity, uh, their ethnicity. Uh, I've heard people say you can't, you're not black enough because you don't X, Y, Z. It is amazing to me that uh, we're at the point now where we don't want to just disagree with someone. We want to destroy them. So if someone disagrees, it isn't a matter of, of a of a intellectual argument anymore it's let me destroy the person uh that uh that I disagree with and uh i think the american people are getting a little tired of that and we need to be able to have conversations debates even vigorous debates about policy without getting into a, a situation where we're questioning each other's character or integrity. Yeah, the the amount of back and forth, this cancel culture, it's it it produces nothing of value. No, no, it really doesn't. And and I have no patience for the cancel culture that wants to go in and rewrite our history, wants to uh, cancel out. Uh, the values that made this country what we are today. And I think those of us who are of goodwill, who love this nation, have got to speak up, speak out, lean into this moment, and take the conversation back from those individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine you saw uh, President Reagan talk to Tip O'Neill, and those guys were opposites, yet they got along f- fabulously, didn't they? Oh, yes, they did. And we still see some of that. You know, right now I am on the uh, Women's Suffrage uh, Centennial Commission where we are celebrating 
uh, the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote in this country. Uh, we'll be lighting up the White House tomorrow and many other in, uh, buildings around our country. And that has been one of the most bipartisan uh, efforts that I've been involved in. There are very, very strong conservative women that your audience would be familiar with, like Penny Nance from Concerned Women for America and Marjorie Dannenfelser from uh, the Susan B. Anthony list, uh, Cleta Mitchell, uh, Heather Higgins. These are all conservative stalwarts. And we serve on that with our our friends and sisters from the progressive left uh, and also from the Democrat Party. And we have decided that we will come together and celebrate the things that we agree on. And uh, it's just been a tremendous uh, experience in the middle of all the vitriol that's going on around us. Mm -hmm. Kay, do you have a, a book on your nightstand you're reading right now? Uh, I do. I do. There's about six of them. <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> and I, I promise you, uh, I will finish one of them eventually. That's my model uh, too. I, Thank you. We have a lot in common when it comes to that <laughs> big stack of books. I might get through one of them. Absolutely. And when I look at my bookshelf and see all that's there, um, I realize I, I, if I read constantly all day every day until the day i die i wouldn't get through them all right but you know on the top of that stack is my bible and quite frankly what typically happens right now is by the time i read that i'm you know the i wake up and find out that the book is reading me <laughs> oh fantastic so where do you do you go to the psalms uh often because i always like to start my show with a psalm do you do and I heard the one you started with today, and I'll tell you, I <laughs> I had to figure out what it meant to abide in Christ and mm. to seek shelter under his wings, because when you operate in the physical and in the political environment like I do, that's the only place you can find refuge and shelter. And there were promises associated with that, and I wanted the promises. So I spent about 18 months figuring out what it meant to abide in Christ and what it meant to take shelter uh, in him, because uh, those are promises I have to cling to every yeah. day. What a beautiful message for me and for my listeners, because abiding in Christ, that's what we're invited to do. And it's fantastic that you would encourage and remind all of us to do so. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I we love uh, Rob Louie from the the Daily Signal, so thank you for sharing him with us. Isn't he something? He's he is the fantastic. Best. He's the best. He yeah. is, and he is just a prime example of all the fantastic people I get to work with at Heritage every day. Yeah, you've got a, quite a lineup of amazing people. Kay, thank you so much for doing the show. It's really an honor to talk to you. Oh, thank you. The pleasure and the honor is mine. Pray for us, please. I will indeed. Mrs. Kay Coles-James has been my guest, president of the Heritage Foundation. We'll take a little break, and we'll be... Right back with the Monday Afternoon Mix.
time for the Monday Afternoon Mix with Miles Arnold and Maxwell. Starting off Monday a little different today. Usually Patrick Albany's is the way we start the show, but Mrs. K. Coles James was there in his place, but he will be with me at 5 o'clock Central Time. But for now, it's the Monday Afternoon Mix. David Miles, how are you? I am doing warm. Yeah, but you were, plus you were talking on the phone up to the minute you walked in here. He's a true pro. Usually we He's like a little... switch on and off. We usually like a little advanced conversation before the segment starts, but that's okay. Well, you know, it's one of those things, like, it might be one of those things where you have a situation where it's seemingly out of your control, you know, and so it's one of those things where a system that you can't necessarily control has, like, a glitch in it, and that glitch ends up affecting your life, and... Then you're spending a bunch of time trying to kind of work out mm-hmm. a dynamic, and people are like, "I'm sorry, this happened," and yes, we'll you know we'll get it fixed. And this is weird. This has never happened. I don't know if anyone in our listening audience has ever had that, where something happens and you ask, like, "Hey, like, have you ever dealt with this before?" Nope. You're the first person. Thank you. So you get to feel special. <laughs> kind of fun, special, unique, somewhat yeah. frustrating. Yeah. So I guess like in some ways it's kind of like the whole thing with school and. You know, and COVID and kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews and that going back. And as I was on campus today for some meetings with some other professors and stuff and seeing students walk around and it's there is this thing where we are not in control. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sitting in a situation where we're not exactly sure what's happening and when. And it gets to kind of it, it. It's it's this. Yeah, it's just kind of this interesting. Mm-hmm. What's your first response when things are coming at you that are out of your control? What's your first response? And I'm going to ask you next, Rebecca. Okay, I'll get ready. You know, so it you can... it varies. You know, there there's times where it's been like, seriously, Lord, like, <laughs> like is it anger? Is it? Um, it depends on what it is. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on what it is. Could be anger. You know, where it's just kind of sometimes it's sadness too. Mm-hmm. And I mean like anger is often like a secondary emotion to hurt, you know, and so like either we we um repress anger, you know, like we'll keep it or we'll suppress it and that can be unhealthy or we'll express it, mm-hmm. you know, and that can sometimes be unhealthy as well. So the question is constructively how do we deal um with that? But it varies. There's been times where it's like, oh, this happened. Okay, cool. All right, God. And sometimes it's been like, what? Like, like really, Lord? And so, um, yeah. I think a lot of it is frustration. Over enough time, it just turns into anger. Because you're so frustrated, so frustrated, and then all of a sudden you wake up and you're mad. You're angry. Yeah, and I think a, a, another piece of it that might deal with it is, again, we, we've talked about the E-word, you know, and we're not saying electronic devices. But I have to say the other day I had a, kind of a, an interesting thought because we're always on our devices. And, like, I think it's the old King James that tells us to be wary of the devil's devices. And I was like, so I just had one of those weird moments. Uh, but it, going back to E, expectations. And mm-hmm. I think what happens is our ex- expectations don't get met or violated or... Or they're not exactly what what we thought they should be, and we're hoping it would be a certain way. And then when it deviates from that, you're right. It leads to an angst or a frustration or an irritant. So would the goal to be quietly prayerful? I got to get to you, Rebecca, too. 
That's all right. I'm but, waiting. But with the goal to be quietly and calmly prayerful when things come into your world that are out of your control. That's probably better than like flying off the handle. And not as fun, but you know, yeah, and probably doesn't feel like you know you're getting as much done, right? Because um, you know, even like if you watch kids and adults get upset, you notice how they st- we start breathing faster, <laughs> and yeah. so trying to stay calm and breathe through it, you know, and, and trust the Lord and just kind of settle. Um, that's that is better, but it it probably doesn't feel as productive. Um, but then you you you've got that cortisol that surges through your body, and then it you know once that subsides, you've got the cortisol dump, where now all of a sudden you're tired, and I mean it's exhausting physiologically to go through that all day long. It is, and one of the things that I think like um, one of the guys, John Bradshaw, is a person who's wrote on shame a lot, mm-hmm. and for those who've grown up maybe similar to me, like I grew up the youngest child in a, in a family of al- alcoholism. Um, you know, they talk about like children of al- adult alcoholics and even just people, you can get um, addicted to the rush of the emotion, mm. you know. So sometimes that, that just all that buildup, it, it makes you feel, you know, alive. And so, you know, the, 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 the thing of being careful not to invite chaos in your life in order to, you know, feel that um but that breathe part is good so i'm i'm gonna say you know i'm not gonna i don't always say praise god from whom all blessings flow uh that doesn't always flow there are times where i've actually said to myself you know what i'm just gonna praise god in this moment um but i'm not gonna like you know joke our audience and our, our fellow brothers and sisters and say that's the entire time because then, you know, we can spend the rest of our time having a conversation online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I, I want to go that it, it does, it varies its, its response. And I think too, um, a topic that we've talked a lot about is the whole issue of where are we abiding at in Christ before the event happened, you know, that can also help. So. Yeah. And a question that I want to pose, I will answer your question, Bill, but I also have one of my own in the back of my head. So just as a preview of what's about to come, I won't tell you what it is, but we'll get there. Suspense. Uh, <laughs> foreshadowing. Um, I have learned that I am not as good with change as I used to think that I was. Um, when things are unexpected, they come at me and maybe I, I have a, a fairly comfortable life by all standards. And so I think, all right, well, we can handle it no matter what comes up. And then something comes up and we think, oh, no, at least I do. I, I almost need that minute to say, all right, what I expected did not happen or it's something's completely changed. You know, you get a different diagnosis than you thought or somebody's up in the middle of the night. You got to take them to the emergency room, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And I almost need that moment to give it over and just say, all right, this didn't happen. I admit I'm a little disappointed about this or I'm scared or I don't know what's up. But just put that away because I recognize that was my expectation. It wasn't a guarantee that anything was going to happen. I just assumed that it would. So let me put that expectation back at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, you're in control of the outcome. You know what's going to happen. You've already orchestrated everything for my good and your glory 
let me walk in that right now. I just don't know where I'm going, <laughs> which is a little scary, but I know that you are with me. And and it takes me a moment to remind myself of that. And that's uh, one of the things I love about our friend Glenn Pickering is he often talks about being a second responder, that instead of going with your first instinctual response, you need to take a few seconds. And, and that's the training part of training your brain and your body to you know, recognize you're going to have those initial chemical reactions, mm-hmm. but to override that, that's, that's where faith comes in and to just give yourself that moment to breathe and the moment to slow down and think, all right, Lord, help me in this, you know, guide me in this and going with the second response instead of the first. So that's, that's where I am. And that's, what's helping me now. Um, you mentioned the word expectations and I've been really deeply looking into some of those in my own life, David. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this, um, with, um, one of the, the leaders in my church. And he said, you know, I'm coming more and more to the conclusion that maybe our expectations are idolatry. Ooh, and it took again. me a minute. He said, I'm coming to the conclusion that expectations are idolatry. And so it took me a minute, and at first I was thinking of reasons why that might not be the case, but I kept, you know, mulling it over in my brain. And so I just thought I'd, I'd mention it now, what you think about that kind of statement. Um, I think there there may be good things like hopes and expectations that come from the Lord where maybe that wouldn't fit in. But overall, what do you think about that statement? I think it's powerful. And, uh, you know, I could see some, you know, truism in it because at the at the root of it, there's a desire sometimes just to be king for a day or more than a day, you know, or longer. And so, you know, we, you know, um, yeah, we can kind of get gardeny again where we, we really want to just, you know, we get back to Genesis 3 where we want to do things our way. You know, I just, I'm reading through the Old Testament, I'm in Samuel right now and just finished up, you know, a great read through Judges. And what does Judges say? You know, it was a time where people did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And so our expectations often are what I think is right in my own eyes. And, you know, and then we get into maybe even a tug of war with God. And it's like, you're God. And like, we're created. You are creator but in that way, we're still sometimes wanting to pull, you know, our limited weight with the king of the universe. But it doesn't keep us from trying. That's for sure. So uh, can I drift back to anger for a moment? You can. Yeah, because I'm wondering, are, are more people listening likely to justify your anger or accept responsibility for it? It's only one or the other, right? You can't do both probably, at the same time. You probably can't do both. <laughs> okay, just checking. Playing both sides. She's like, just checking. Yeah, come on, let's I do it. I want to know my options. Well, the option might be like, justify the anger if it's yours. Oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And if it's someone else's anger, then you're like, that's, that's not acceptable. <laughs> That's true. There is that instinct to want to justify or, or defend why we feel this way because it makes sense in our head. Mm-hmm. And of course, I feel this way. Don't you understand? Yes. Lord, the woman you gave me. Oh, <laughs> the snake. Oh, the Somebody fruit that you fault. made yourself, you know. Yeah. I think I might be realizing even, you know, Bill, when you're asking this question, even my phone call before this, why I might be actually going through this, um, you know, was uh, playing a fun game called Settlers of Catan 
with my youngest son, Jaden, this weekend. That is fun. Oh, it is fun. And, you know, we, he's just an incredible young, young well, he's, he's nine, so he's really a young guy. Um, but sometimes in playing, he's got a really good competitive, you know, spirit in him, and he, he likes to do well. And so sometimes that would make him feel, yeah, really good, and then really, you know, not so good. And I, we were talking through this, and we played last night, and, you know, and he did so extremely well. Like, instead of being, like, annoyed by stuff, he just, like, bopped with it, went with it. And just having a more calm response to it, uh, just, he, you know, he wiped me off the table, and just, it was so much cool, you know? And so... Maybe it might be that I was having a conversation with Jaden about this last night, and God said, good, I'm going to have the same conversation with you today, my child. Look at how that worked out. <laughs> this is good. This is good. Very helpful. Ring the, the, the doorbell, God. Ding dong, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Dave? Is it you? All right, let's take a little break. Monday Afternoon Mix is here. Uh, Miles, Arnold, Maxwell, that's, 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 the, that's the trio. Let us know if you have... Uh, Something you'd like us to talk about? 877-933-2484. Be right back. Monday afternoon mix, Miles, Arnold, and Maxwell. I think we're talking about a whole number of things today. We're a little all over the map. And I think anger, obviously, can, it can be, become very sinful when it's motivated by pride, right? Yeah. I think it's James one twenty says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Amen. Amen to that. So I think we always have to figure out how to handle anger biblically. Well, you know, you're hitting on it. it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And sometimes what happened, as Rebecca said earlier, we get into wanting to defend ourselves and uh, we get slightly myopic. I know um, one of the things uh, for Family Life Weekend to Remember conferences that they would do, they would talk about relationships and say, hey, you know, most of the people think that relationships are 50-50. And they say, well, the problem with that is that we're myopic. So we're standing over there and we think that we're doing 60 and we're only doing 40%. And we're upset at our spouse because, you know, we don't feel like they're doing that. They're not feeling that way. And so you've both only gotten 40% and there's a 20% gap. And mm-hmm. your your expectation is, of course, you're going to be the, you know, the, the servant, more mature person to, to bridge that gap and just come, you know, and no. So... So that then, again, sets this expectation. We get myopic in how we see things. Mm-hmm. So, David, maybe you would share something about surrender, because uh, that's related to pride. We always fight for our own will and our own way. Well, it, it is really interesting, because on the subject of expectations and then wanting to control life, so relinquishing seems really anxiety-producing. Um, one of the, the texts that we're going to be using for a spiritual formation class this fall for students is uh, by Nathan Foster, son of Richard Foster of the Celebration of the Disciplines, called The Making of an Ordinary Saint. And uh, he says, it's my journey from frustration to joy with the spiritual disciplines. But one of the first chapters was actually on submission. And he, he says this, Nathan writes, submission is the spiritual discipline that frees us from the everlasting burden of always needing to get our own way. 
got real quiet in here all of a sudden. Can we hear that again? Submission is the spiritual discipline that frees us from the everlasting burden of always needing to get our own way. He goes on to say that in submission, we are learning to hold things lightly. We are also learning to diligently watch over the spirit in which we hold others, honoring them, preferring them, loving them. And so... That's a big question. How do you hold things lightly? It reminds me of that quote that I'm not sure I'll get verbatim at the moment, but the the idea of clinging to something so tightly, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to keep it with mm-hmm. us. But that which we place in the hands of the Savior, I still possess. I think it was Corey Ten Boom that said something very similar, that anything that you try to grasp onto in this world, you're not going to be able to retain it. It yeah. can be stripped away. But if it's treasures in heaven, right. then that you cannot lose. I think Corey said, don't hold on to anything too tight because it hurts too much when God pries your hand open. Ooh. Yeah, it does. And sometimes what we think, like we think we absolutely have to have, we don't spend time thinking, um, thanking God for the no answers to the prayers that we thought that we absolutely had to have. And now as you look back, that if you actually would have got what you thought that you wanted, you know, that would have been disastrous. And in and the same way, going back, you know, because adults were still sometimes big kids, you know, it's not just kids who want to eat their candy all the time and don't want to have broccoli. But if we let, uh, let a child eat candy just nonstop, you know, I don't even think dentists would be happy to be seen <laughs> that much. They'd be like, whoa. But we still grow up and sometimes, you know, we don't grow because like, Sometimes, you know, maturity isn't chronological because, you know, I've met some old souls and some really mature people that are like 23 and I've met some eight-year-olds that are 62, you know. (laughs) So it's like, um, and that's the other thing too in our spiritual walk. There are some that have walked with the Lord, you know, for 25 years and then there's some that have walked with the Lord for five years and then repeated that last year 20 years. And so... And I think God's wanting to call us to a relationship, a relationship of grace and learning from him and walking with him and picking up his yoke. And that is back to this thing. Will we submit? Will we surrender? Because it's an oxymoron to say, you know, well, my God will just let me do whatever I want to. That makes no sense. No. That's not a loving father. It's like my... Listener Justin just chimed in and said, I think a lot of times my anger and frustration when my expectations are not met comes from unbelief that God does not know what is best for me. Mm. Yeah. You know, we've got to be reminded that God has information about our lives that we don't have. And thank goodness he's sovereign and in control. Mm. Well, I like what Justin said because he basically just did Genesis you know, chapter 3 in a contemporary way. I mean, because basically God gave all of these things, even things that maybe Adam and Eve didn't fully understand. And yet the devil comes in and he has a conversation and says, hey, guys, listen, the big guy, he's holding out on the good stuff. Like, really, you just need to do your your life plan, which you think is best. And we, we can't just always blame it on the devil because Ephesians chapter 2 
says that the three uglies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we have a world system that says follow that. We have our own flesh. So, you know, not always using the devil made me do it. You know, there's things that we just want to do, which is why James says, you know, when sin gives, you know, it, it, it starts off as a seed and then it's born and then it gives birth and it gives birth to death. But it's constantly a thing to say, as Justin said, you know, God, are you really, you know, are you really have the best for me? Which also under that is like, do you really love me? A lot of wisdom there, David. And Justin. And Justin. Yeah. Thank you, Justin. I like Justin. I like Justin, too. He's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. But maybe sometimes we do ask those questions in implicit ways, which is why we doubt or why we, we have these treasured expectations. And then when they're not met, we think, oh, well, how could God's best be different than my definition of best? Which, again, sort of betrays that idea that I've set myself up in the throne and I need to step down to my proper place because <laughs> God is king. And that that's why I think the issue of submission folds into that because it is perhaps the daily or hourly recognition of the truth about the universe, which is that God is in control and I'm not. It's not um, abasing ourselves in some sort of like fake or less than genuine way, I think. It, it's reminding ourselves of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I've, I've done some studies on submission because it's still something I kind I need to remind myself what it looks like. And, you know, being married and a mom, you learn different ways and you get new object lessons pretty much every day of how this all works out in this messy kind of strange world. But it's, it's just a recognition of reality. I am not in control. And really, I don't want to be because God knows way more than I do. And he has so much more control, so much more wisdom than I ever could. And I want to trust him. That is what is best. I'm not sure where the tendency to keep trying to wrest the reins away from him comes from. Um, but that's my my daily prayer right now is just to make sure that I'm recognizing the reality that God is king and that that is so good. It's so good. And if he's putting it in my life and if he's allowing it in my life, it is for my good, even if it doesn't feel good at the moment. And we still like to be king, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, it's like the story of the, the little boy whose mom told him to sit down and the little boy replied, he said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, I heard you just say something too, and I'm wondering if it's something that I say as well, and David says as well, and many listeners might say, when you said, I want to trust God, shouldn't we be saying, I am trusting God? Hmm. I'm not saying what you said was wrong. I'm saying that can often be an inclination we have. It's like, I really want to trust God for this. And I think, well, as believers, shouldn't we say, I am trusting God for this? Well, and I think the reason I put it that way is because there's may, there may be an incongruence in my behavior in that moment. Oh. And then what I would believe in my heart, I would say, yes, I trust God. I trust God. Then why is it that I'm having such a hard time with this thing not going my way? Yeah. It's because I'm not in that moment. I need to risk once again, surrender that control over to God because I'm not acting like I'm trusting him very much well, right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling myself out on that too. I'm not picking on you. That's so okay. You know. I could take it. Well, I know you can take it, but I mean, I've, I've said that how many times? I really want to be trusting God on this. That's a great point. And, yeah, I mean, and, you know, how many times do we say things and then say, well, my behavior's not looking very much like this is what I really believe. Right. 
And it's like, what what is even the expectation that we have on ourselves for, you know, perfection and the like, you know, and what are the messages that we're getting from the world, you know, that people have in their mind that this is the way that something must be done or the exact. Jesus just said, you know, those who come after me, pick up your cross and losing your life, you'll find it. And that just seems so strange. Like, wait a minute, in losing my life, I would find it. And the world tells us, Go for the gusto. Get as much as possible. And we see the fruits of that every day of people who've done that and they come to the end of their lives and we see these train wrecks. It's not saying that's the destiny for every person, but there is something about this submission, about submitting to the Lord in Christ. And if you're driving today in your car and you're sensing an emptiness in your life, we want to just encourage you that the, the greatest person that you could submit to is Jesus Christ, who loves you so much and submitted himself to a cross to die for your sins and raise from the dead to give you eternal life. Brings it home, doesn't he? Beautiful. That's beautiful. That's the Monday afternoon mix for today. Thanks for being here. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll take a little break. We'll come back. Hour two is going to start with my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, Patrick Albanese. And uh, looking forward to that. And then uh, Carrie Heddington will be joining me and answering the question, does God exist? That's all ahead in an hour or two. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.